What do you need? That is a question. If you go into a store and you're looking around for something, someone will come up to you. Can I help you? Because they know you have a need. You're, you're looking for something. You, you need something. This whole last year, we have been hearing from two different uh, political sides telling us this is what you need. You need this or you need this. And on Tuesday, we will decide as a country which one we think that we need. That is how it works. We need food to exist. We need sleep. We need all kinds of things. Just to get here this morning, you had to go through a whole process of things that you needed. You needed to wake up, you needed to get dressed, you needed clothes, you needed uh, to drive here, you needed gas, you needed a vehicle. We are constantly filled with things that we need. Need is very natural to us. It's part of our nature to need things. Even before the fall, God made it so humans need things. God looked at Adam and said, it's not good that man be alone. He needed a help meet. We, we need things. This is the way God designed it to be. But after the fall, after that, uh, this thing of need got get very twisted. And so now you can have need, and you, in, in this need, it can feed pride, or need can feed and fuel despair. It can feed pride by saying, you know what, I don't need anybody. I can do it all on my own. I can be very self-sufficient, which fuels our pride. Or it can fuel despair, our needs. We could just say, well, I got so much going on, I just can't do it anymore. I have so many things that I need, I just can't do it. And it can fuel despair. Need is very natural to us but not to God. But God comes to those who know need. Need is not natural to God. God is self-sufficient. This morning, we just want to look at what does it mean that God's self-sufficient? Why does it matter that God's self-deficient? And what are the implications for us that God is self-sufficient? God is not like us. So what is it mean? Why, first, what does it mean that God is self-sufficient? It says in this, the God who made the world and everything in it. When we speak of God, as I speak of God for the next few weeks, as we look at God, and when you hear God's name, don't just picture God Father. When we speak of God here, we speak of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We speak of God in tri the Trinity. He is three in one, one God, three persons. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. So whenever you hear God, just read God, we, we believe in the Trinity, the triune God of how he revealed himself. One God, three persons. So God, how is God Self-sufficient. The definition of self, being self-sufficient is God possesses within himself eternally and intrinsically every quality, ability, and supernatural command with infinite measure. To be that God is self-sufficient means that God possesses within himself eternally and intrinsically every quality, ability, and supernatural command with infinite measure. All the qualities are his attributes. He, he, he possesses, God possesses all these good attributes in himself, his perfection, his wisdom, his, his knowledge, his goodness, his love. Those are all in God. When we say that God is self-sufficient, what does that mean? Eternally. What does it mean that God possesses within himself eternally? 
Who made God? One of the first catechisms I ever learned was that question. Who made God? And the answer was, nobody made God. And the, the Bible comes right out, right out in Genesis and says in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. No explanation, it just says God. God is eternal. It says in John that Jesus said about the Father, he has life in himself. For as the Father has life in himself. God's eternal. Nobody made God. God has always existed eternally. From, there was no beginning of God. It blows our minds when we think about that. There was no, there's no beginning. God never had a beginning. It's, he has life inside of himself. He possesses life inside of himself eternally. But God possesses within himself eternally and intrinsically every quality of the self-sufficiency. Intrinsically means essential, or it's a part of who he is. Which means God does not receive anything from outside of himself. You can have something, someone said. You can have something, but you still get it outside. All of us are doing that right now. If you're sitting here breathing, uh, you are taking in air. And so you have it, but then you're letting it go. And you, have to, you need some more. That is not how God is. God has everything in him. It, 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 nothing comes into God that he needs. He intrinsically has that. Psalm 50:12 says, If I were hungry, God said, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. He, he's not hungry, and he wouldn't tell us anyway. He says he, he doesn't need to. He has everything in him, and it's infinite. It's without limits. It's unbounded. A.W. Tozer said, whatever God is and all that God is, he is in himself. It's all in God. Remember Popeye who used to say, I am what I am? That's not how God says that. It sounds like he says that in Exodus. Popeye would say, I am what I am. We would say, I am what I am. But God says, I am that I am. There is no beginning and there is no dependency on God. God is self-sufficient. He, he possesses everything inside of him. It's from him. That's what it means. But what does it matter? Why does it matter to us? Why does it matter that God is self-sufficient? We need to know God is self-sufficient because it, it helps us to know him correctly. In Acts 17, Paul was walking around uh, Athens and he was waiting for his friends to get there. He's, he's walking around and as he's walking around, he sees all these idols and all these statues all, all over the place. And he, he's reading them and he sees them and he sees on one of them this inscription to the unknown God, and he can't wait any longer. He's, he's seeing all this religious practices of, of Athens and people wanting to know God and find God, and, and he just can't take anymore, so he, he goes to where people talk about new ideas back then, and he says in verse 22, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Aragopagus, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, but they don't know God. They want to know God. They have all these gods out there. He says, I perceive that in every way you are very re religious. For I, as I passed along and observed objects of your worship, I found an, also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. 
And then Paul said, What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And he says to them, The God who made the world and created all things and everything in it. We need to know who God is and all these attributes of God so that we know him correctly. And that we also need to know it matters so that we know that we are not God. We live often as if we are God in practical levels almost every day. We wake up, we do what we need to do, we get things done, and never sometimes acknowledging the one who's giving us every ability to do it. And we need to constantly remind ourselves that we are not God. God is not like us. It's humbling, and it's helpful, and that's the only place true hope is going to be found, is when we realize that God is not like us. He's different than us. He's completely different from us, and his self-sufficiency shows us how different he is to us because God has no needs. When you are self-sufficient, you have, there's nothing that you need. God has no needs. God does not need any supporters. He doesn't need any worshipers. He doesn't need fans. Remember when the pandemic started and all the NBA shut down? And as soon as LeBron James, the king, heard that the fans aren't going to be in the stadium when they told him, you know what what he said? Remember what he said when he heard that? I'm not playing. I'm not going to play. The idea in his brain that he would play basketball without fans and people to watch him at that moment blew his mind. He clearly got over it and they won, but he couldn't understand. He needed fans. He played for the fans. That, that's what he was doing, what he was doing, all these things. God's not like that. God is not up there waiting for us to get here this morning so that we could worship him. He, he, he wasn't worried about that. He doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need supporters. He's self-sufficient in himself. God did not create us because he was lonely. And that he was up in heaven, bored to death, and with no idea what to do, and he needed somebody to entertain him, so he decided to create the world and create people. God was not lonely. That's why the Bible, that's what the Trinity says, that there's three persons in one. He was 100% content, happy, joyful in himself, and always has been. God created us out of his love and his joy, but not because he was lonely. He does not need supporters. He doesn't need worshipers. He does not need helpers. He, he isn't waiting around for us to figure out how to make things work for him that he wants done. He's self-sufficient. Tim Hawkins is a Christian comedian, and he talks about having his little helpers in the car. You know, once your kids start to drive and get their license and, they, and, they're in, and then driver's ed, and then all of a sudden they're telling you how to drive, uh, you didn't slow down, Dad. Um, you didn't put your turn signal on. That's not a stop. And that's what I would say. Oh, well, thanks. My little helper's in the car. Uh, somebody learned how to drive. Uh, so my, that's the, we have these little helpers in the car. God doesn't need little helpers. He, he, he doesn't need us. He is self 
self-sufficient in every way to accomplish everything that he wants to do. He doesn't need little helpers. The good news of that means that God cannot be controlled and God cannot be manipulated. He doesn't need, and he doesn't need defenders who needs to explain him away or to explain them to people that might not understand his ways, and so he has to change his ways. God, God doesn't need it. He's self-sufficient. He is the God who created everything. A.W. Tozer said it well, almost, among all created beings, no one dare trust in itself. God alone trusts in himself. All other beings must trust in him. Unbelief is actually perverted faith, for it puts its trust not in the living God, but in dying men. If we refuse to trust God, what we are actually saying is that either we or some other person or thing is more trustworthy. That is a slander against the character of God and its folly. Nothing else is all-sufficient. On the other hand, if we begin by trusting God, by believing in him, we have a solid foundation for all of life. God is sufficient, and his word to his creatures can be trusted. It matters that we know this because God doesn't need. He's not like us. But since that's true, what Tozer just said, it's true that God doesn't need us. He chose us. He can't be manipulated and controlled by us, but he wants us to come to him out of out of need, but out of what he knows of who he is. What are the implications for us that God is self-sufficient? What are the conclusions? What's it helpful to remember? How, how can we apply that God is self-sufficient? I got three of them. First, we live in God's world, not ours. When Paul talked to these people in verse 24. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. And in verse 28 it says, For in him we live and move and have our being. We live in God's world. It's not your world. It's not Wayne's world. That's about as ancient reference as you could get. It is, it is, it's not your world, but we live like it's our, in our world. We, we live regularly like it's in our world. So what does it mean that we don't live in God's, our world? We live in God's world, not ours. And so when we can respond to when God calls us, when God calls you to something, and you know it's God calling you, and you're wanting to follow God, and you start to go, and it doesn't seem like that's what you would choose to do, or you don't feel like that's the direction you would want it to go. When we know that God is self-sufficient, so he doesn't need us, but he calls us, and we know that we live in God's world, not our world, we can respond to his call and know that when God calls you, he will equip you to do what he wants you to do. He writes the script, not you. And someone said God has no problem ripping up the script of our lives and rewriting it. Because we live in God's world and not ours, we also can relax in God's control. 
the anxiety level of 2020 is at a high level. The anxiety of this week in our country is at an extremely high level. In Acts, Paul says to these people, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, doesn't live in temples made by man. He's not served by human hands as though he needed anything. This is his world, and he's in control of it, so we can relax in that. Paul Tripp said it well. He says, there simply is no panic in heaven. God is never anxious. There's no confusion in the Trinity. God never wrings his hands and wishes he had made a better choice. God never worries about what's going to happen next or stresses over how things are going to turn out. God's never surprised or caught up short. He's never in a situation that overwhelms him. God never feels needy or unprepared. God never regrets that he didn't do it better. God never fails at a task. He never makes promises that he cannot keep. He never forgets what he said or what he wants to do next. God never contradicts himself or fails to be exactly who he said he was. He's all-powerful, absolutely perfect in every way, faithful to every word, sovereign over all that is. The definition of love, he is righteous, just, tender, and patient all at the same time. He is not dismayed or distracted by our panic and our questions. No, the sovereign move of his grace marches on. And it marches on by his own self-sufficient choice. That he knows you. And he knows me. Not because he needs you, but it's because he chooses to know you. And he chooses to care for you. And he chooses to love you. So we live in God's world, not our own. And we lean then into God's sufficiency, not ours. There's a great danger of self-sufficiency. And it shows itself by prayerlessness, our forgetfulness, our anger, our lack of conviction to to personal sins. When we think we are self-sufficient, then we don't think we need to ask God for help. And we just move on and march on our way. And and we, 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 we think prayer is good, but we don't see why it really matters or we forget all these truths about God or we just get angry about everything because we think somehow if I could just fix it because I can fix things it would be better but we need to lean into God's sufficiency not ours not ours Proverbs 3 5 and 6 is true trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths God is not panicked with your life. God is not preoccupied, so he doesn't know what's going on in your life. And God is not partial to anybody else. He knows you. He cares for you, and we love you. And so when the difficulties come, we can lean into God's sufficiency, not ours. We live in God's world. We lean into God's sufficiency, not ours. And then we look to the one who is all sufficient. Paul goes on to say, in him we live and move and have our being. As 
Even some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring, verse 29, but, but being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. We need to look to the all-sufficient one. There is a judgment that God will bring on us if we try to live self-sufficiently and endure eternity self-sufficiently. God says that will be the consequence of sin and separation from the living God. But if we look to the one who's all-sufficient, who is Jesus, who came, took on human flesh, lived in our skin, kept our skin, and is still in human form today, died on the cross for our sins, rose again, we can have hope. Work hard to get better is not the gospel. Where if you say, I just need to do more, if I just need to keep my eyes on God and follow him and just do this, do this, do this, that's not the gospel. The gospel is you can't do that. So God came and did it for you. He's the one that can help you enter your life, follow him, stay in faith with him. So we lean in and look to the all-sufficient one. True strength is found in understanding our weakness and Christ's sufficiency. This is the weekend of Martin Luther's 95 thesis in Germany, and it's a communion Sunday. And Karen Ransom prepared communion for this church for years. But what is true, because God is all-sufficient, is a mighty fortress, is our God. And we lean into him. We can know with confidence that did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world, with devils filled, should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. And what we are confident of is that Jesus Christ is our hope. And Karen Ransom is more alive today than she's ever been. And we will be too if we trust in this all-sufficient God who revealed himself most fully in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.